Hi! Welcome to the CJB Sports Show podcast. A shorter one today because it's a half show, so that's yeah, more than a half podcast. Bob Irving stops by to talk about the 2019 Hall of Fame inductees for the Blue Bomber Hall of Fame, as well as reminiscing about Matt Dunnigan's 713-yard day, which was 25 years ago Sunday, as well as a look at the ATP Challenger final that was in Winnipeg. Tennis on the podcast. I managed to secure a high-profile guest now on the CJB Sports <laughs> Show. Bob Irving sticking around for a few minutes. Thanks, Bob. Hey, my pleasure. Christian. So today, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers announced the 2019 Hall of Fame inductees, cornerback mm-hmm. Les Brown and longtime team doctor Burt Longstaff. A lot of people in the Blue Bomber Hall of Fame. And now two more names going on. Start with Les Brown. Wasn't a bomber for all that long, three seasons, but certainly left an impact, including the last great cup that this team has won. Well, that's right. And I'm on the selection committee and uh, we've talked about Les for, you know, a number of years now. And one of the things that kind of held him back a little bit, I guess, is the fact he only played three years here. But this year we, you know, we looked at it long and hard and we said, you know what? The three years he played here were exceptional. 51 games, 27 that's interceptions. astonishing. It really is, you know, and, and the game today uh, those there are no numbers like he had 14 interceptions in one year. That was 1990 when the Bombers won the Grey Cup. Um, he was, and of course, he played all those years in Hamilton. He's in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. He was a All Canadian All Star two of the three years he was with the Blue Bombers. And then he worked on the coaching staff here in Winnipeg for a number of years. So we just said, look, his contributions to the club, uh, short as a player and and a little bit longer as a coach. But they really are exceptional, especially that 1990 season. Man, I can remember. He he was a cornerback, and he had that knack, you know, to read a play and mm-hmm. step in and pick the ball off. He was well, 27 and 51 games. Yeah. You pick a, you know more than one every two games. Yeah, no, he was he was a special player. So he goes in now. Bert Longstaff, uh, his family's been involved with the club since the 40s. His dad was president of the team way back when, and. Uh, Bert's been, uh, well, he's a doctor. He's been with the 45 club. 45 years. Working with them since 1972. Uh, he retired at the end of 2016, but he had a real love for the football team. And those doctors with the club are critically important to the team's fortunes. And they really are part of the team in their own way. And a lot of the years uh, Bert did it, it was a volunteer situation. And uh, most of the years, as a matter of fact, he just loved working with the club and helping the club, and so he's a he's a great inductee as a builder. Kind of an unsung hero? Yeah, I think so. You know, the, the general public would... Uh, well, Bert Longstaff's name is pretty well known to people in the medical world, and uh, people have probably heard of him, but... Well, let's uh, say he walked by on the street. Yeah, well, that's right. I'd know him, but yeah. lot, most people wouldn't. Um, but yeah, they're, they're unsung heroes. They're behind-the-scenes people. They're on the sidelines every game. There's doctors down mm-hmm. there on the sidelines every game making sure the players are looked after. And so, yeah, he's been a great contributor to the Bomber cause. So uh, yesterday was a big anniversary. Twenty, Whenever it's been 25 years since anything, <laughs> it's a big anniversary. But yeah. there was a pretty big performance 25 years ago when uh, Matt Dunnigan threw for 713 yards in that game. What I found hard to believe is that this game wasn't televised. Right. I guess it was a very different time in 1994 at the CFL. I'm trying to remember the circumstance as to why the game wasn't on TV because it was a Grey Cup rematch. The, mm-hmm. the Bombers in Edmonton met in the Grey Cup in 1993. 
so 94, they opened the season. Uh, it was the Bombers' home opener. The Bombers already played one game, but it was their home opener against the Edmonton Eskimos, and it was over at Canadian Stadium. I can st- and I broadcast the game. I'll never forget it. Uh, and Dunnigan was one of those quarterbacks. When he was on, he was really something. He could throw the ball 100 miles an hour, and, and uh, he, that night he was just, well, clearly 713 yards. Come on. Uh, you know, where does that come from? It's impossible. From? Yeah, it really is. I don't. It's a record I can't ever see being broken, and I know records And no one's come close. No, not really. Danny Barrett was in the 600s uh, in one game. That was the previous record. But uh, he was on fire, and he had great receivers. Alfred Jackson had th- over 300 yards. David Williams had 240 uh, Gerald Wilcox and Gerald Alphen were bomber receivers at that time, and they were really top-notch players. Uh, they just had an outstanding team that year. And, uh, boy, that night. Uh, and I remember as I'm doing the game, I'm thinking, and as the numbers continue to pile up, one of my thoughts was, and we had a captive audience on radio, so we're happy about that, but I'm thinking it's kind of too bad the game's not on TV because people should be seeing this. Right. They should be witnessing this. And and the only people that are are the 21,000. That was the crowd that night, 21,000 at uh, Canada Stadium. So I, I thought that was kind of unfortunate, but it was really, it was unbelievable. What Just, was the TV landscape for the CFL in 94? Trying to recall... Um, uh, CBC was still doing a lot of their games, right. I believe, and I think CTV was doing some of their games. Um, They'd gone to the States by then, right? 94? You mean, they, no, they hadn't expanded no. to the States then. Okay. No, no, they, okay. they still hadn't done that. That was in the mid-90s. Okay. Um, so I, uh, that's the best of my recollection. And why that game was not, not all games were on back right. then. Uh, they are and have been for a number of years now, but not all games were on. Anyway, it was a phenomenal night. It was just one of those nights that... Um, you know, you just don't ever forget, and you feel that you're lucky to have been part of it and to witness it. Was Dunnigan lightning in a bottle in Winnipeg? Well, he was hurt a lot. He was here three years, and he was hurt a lot. But when he played Christian, man, he was dynamic. He mm-hmm. was. I've said this many times, and I'll say it again. Of the all the years I've been here covering sports, and I covered a lot of hockey, Bobby Hull was the most charismatic uh, athlete I've seen in Winnipeg. Matt Dunnigan was a close second. Uh, he was great in public. He was a great ambassador for the game. Uh, he really did a fantastic job off the field in the three years he was here. And on the field, when he was healthy, and he missed the 93 Grey Cup game with an injury, tore his Achilles tendon. They would have won that game? Well, who knows, right? But yeah. chances are. Um, yeah, he was a dynamic player. He was he was a lot of fun to watch. He he made a big. He was only here three years. He's in the Bomber Hall of Fame too, a three year guy. But the impact he made in those three years was exceptional. So just the stat keeping of this game. When did you know? Were you keeping a track yourself of the yeah. yards? Did you have a guy? What yeah, was the stat did. situation? I don't remember the specifics, but we always had a stats guy back then. And we knew the numbers were big, and we knew he was close to 700. I don't remember the the exact details now, but I think Alan Boyko caught the last pass for the, he was at 699 or something, and he went over 700. And Cal Murphy was the coach. Mike Kelly was the offensive coordinator. And and it was a high-scoring game. Like, the final score was 50-35. to 35. Right. And so the Bombers were never really comfortable. Like they were running up the score. Yeah, no, no, they were never really comfortably ahead, but... Uh, Cal was advised that he was on the verge of throwing for 700 yards, and Cal said, get him to throw it again. <laughs> let's let's do it, because it was such a, why deny a guy? Right. That sort of thing. Yeah. Well, what was the buzz in the city after that happened? Well, it was incredible. It really was. And again, 
it wasn't on TV, so a lot of people didn't see it. Of course, they said they did. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was like, whoa, you know. Can you believe a guy threw for 713 yards? That's incredible. How a did that happen? to live up to, though. Yeah, and against a good team. Yeah. You know, Edmonton was a good team. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was a moment in Bomber history that will, well, it'll never be forgotten. Well, Canadian football history. Yeah, too. that too. Yep. Well, Bob, I appreciate you sticking around. No problem, Chris. I'll let you go. Yeah, love to reminisce. I don't live in the past, but I love to reminisce. <laughs> good. This past week at the Winnipeg Lawn Tennis Club, the National Bank Challenger event, and yesterday's final pitted Ontario's Braden Schnur against Slovakia's Norbert Gombos. The crowd going for Schnur, but it was Gombos who emerged victorious for his seventh career Challenger Tour title, taking the final 7-6-6-3 on a sweltering Sunday in Winnipeg. Oh, uh, what, what do you think was the difference in the match today? Uh, I think I was, uh, I felt like really confidence this week, uh, the whole week I was serving quite well, returning well, uh, moving on the court so, and playing uh, aggressive so, so I was pretty confident today and, and uh, I was so happy to win another tournament and uh, I'm, I'm actually I'm like so happy actually. So. What was it like playing against pretty much the entire crowd cheering for the other guy? Yeah, it's uh, never it's easy to play with the home crowd guy. So uh, because they are cheering him a lot and they the, they wants to like uh, cheer him up like to win. It's not actually it's not easy. But but I was I was focusing on myself, playing my game and 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 and, and how 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 to win the match. So 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 that's that's why I'm I'm pretty happy to win. Seven Challenger Tour titles, I believe, now for you. How hard is it to kind of break through to that next level in tennis? Because it's just so many good players. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, I was already like two years ago. I was uh, already top 100. I was 80 in the world, and and um, and I was strong. Last year, I was struggling, struggling a lot. Uh, I didn't play well. So there are so many up and downs in tennis. So uh, that's always like uh, you have to you have to believe in yourself and and keep fighting and 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 just just how work and and coming back and and that's 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 the way how, how you can come back and and uh, finally I feel that I can I can be again uh, back to top 100 so so I have to keep it like this way and and I think we'll be good this is your second challenger in a row that you've won you won one back home is that right yeah yeah yeah, yeah true so true two in a row like what's working so well for you right now yeah yeah of course uh, I mean I didn't win a challenger a tournament like in uh, one and a half year so so for me to won like uh, two two titles in a row it's amazing and and hopefully I will keep it this way and 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 trying to play uh, bigger tournaments and making results there so so uh, yeah I have to fight uh, fight more do you feel like a better player today than when you were two years ago when you even were top uh, 80 in the world? Uh, I think I think uh, I grow a little bit in mentally. Like uh, uh, I'm still like focusing on a, on a, on a point, not not like uh, what was like in past, like what I missed and everything. So I always try to be like in the present and fighting for every point. So uh, in that way, I, I think I grow and uh, and uh, I have to keep it this way. Is once you, I mean, getting to the top eight is also hard, but is staying there even kind of harder? Yeah, of course, because uh, everybody everybody wants to be like in top 100. So young young guns and 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 uh, other players uh, were like close to top 100. They they, they want to reach it like uh, there, and playing a bigger tournaments. So so actually the. Uh, motivation it's it's uh, like a huge so so uh, and uh, of course the opponents are start, like always they are uh, trying to be better and better so it's not easy actually 
but uh, yeah, uh, you have to fight. So that's that's the only thing what you uh, you can do. So you're gonna have some pretty good memories from Winnipeg then? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I love it here. Uh, it's a nice city. Uh, I was feeling really good. Uh, it was such a nice tournament. Everybody was so kind. So, so I felt like at home actually. So uh, it was really nice, and I enjoyed every moment here. Do you expect it to get this hot? Uh, no, actually. I mean, when I was woke, woke up at half past uh, five in the morning, that is uh, like storming <laughs> outside. So I, I, I thought that it's uh, today we won't play. But finally, it's get really nice and uh, like clear, and uh, we played uh, such a good match. Okay, well, congratulations. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you very much. And on the losing side was Schnur, who got to play at Wimbledon as a lucky loser against the soon-to-be-retiring Marcos Bagdadis. Did not go well for Schnur in that match. And he did take a couple minutes to chat after his loss yesterday before he had to quickly hop on a flight. Uh, the first set tiebreak, I played a little sloppy. Um, he came up with some good shots. And then the second set, I think I just, um, you know, I kind of lost rhythm on my serve a little bit. Uh, you know, I managed to break him a couple times and keep fighting. But, you know, I think I think I didn't serve as well as I'm, I'm capable of. And, and obviously, you know, I think it was a very high-level final. Um, you know, you never know what you're going to get sometimes in a final. Sometimes it's going to be a low level, a high level. Um, you know, and today was a pretty high level, so uh, it could have gone either way. And, you know, he came out on top. When you're a Canadian playing in front of a Canadian crowd and obviously they're cheering for you, do you feel extra pressure or how do you kind of approach No, I, I definitely like it. I try to use momentum and kind of boost me with energy and stuff like that, but uh, I don't feel any pressure really. Um, you know, I played in front of bigger crowds and, and, and I get people supporting my opponent and all that stuff, so it's uh, it's something that I've been used to and, and, and I've been in front of many times. And last one for me, I know you don't have much time to think about this because you're in Rhode Island tomorrow starting the mm -hmm. Hall of Fame Open, so how do you kind of move on so quickly and kind of get ready for that? That's tennis, you know, and you can lose one week and then next week's a new week, so tomorrow's a brand new week for me. Um, you know, I just try to look forward to the opportunity to play again and, and try to and try to be a better tennis player. What's it like jumping from Wimbledon to Winnipeg? Uh, it's a little different, you know, it's been a tough transition. I've played a lot of weeks in a row now. I think I've played 11 out of the last 12 weeks, so it's been a really long stretch for me. Um, you know, obviously coming from Wimbledon is, that's by far now, I think, the best term in the world. Uh, the standards are just unbelievably ridiculous over there. And it was so much fun to, you know, play at that play at that stage, uh, and then to come to Winnipeg. Obviously, it's very different, you know, dropping from a Grand Slam all the way back to a Challenger. Um, you know, not the easiest transition. I think I did a good good job this week of refocusing and just focusing on my game, and and uh, I achieved some goals of mine. So so that I'll take the win from there. And I guess that's just the grind of tennis, jumping around week to week, right? Yeah, exactly. So next week I go back to an ATP. So it's just one to the next. Well, thanks for your time, Brady. Thank you. Thanks. That is Braden Schnur, who was the runner-up. The Winnipeg Challenger event mentioned Wimbledon. Uh, I guess it was a pretty good match yesterday in the men's final, wasn't it? Better than the women's final, which didn't last an hour. Serena Williams was crushed by Simona Halep, who's really good. Serena just needs to play more, so I won't spend too much time on that. But if you were a person watching this match, chances are you were cheering for Roger Federer. And chances are you had your hopes so high at 8-7 in the fifth set when he has a chance to serve for the match, he has two match points, and they disappear because Novak Djokovic is a wizard. And he makes people's memories bad because he always wins, and he does it in a way that people don't seem to love. People can't love Novak Djokovic. He wants your adoration. Problem is, Federer and Nadal came along and took people's hearts first, and now Djokovic is like, can I have my chance? No. Well, I'll just I'll just fillet everybody ruthlessly then and robotically. It was a weird match because you have the first three sets, Novak's up two sets to one, 
He wins two sets in tie breaks, never has a chance to break Federer's serve. And he also just disappeared for 20 minutes in the second set. Strange match, but then the fifth set was epic. It almost goes five hours. First ever final set tie break at Wimbledon in the men's singles play, let alone in a final. That's when it happens. I like having a finish line, but I think people would have liked to have the chance to acclimatize themselves to that before the end of an epic final. And you look at the stats, they're in Rogers' favor. He has 94 winners. Djokovic is 54. He wins 14 more points. He converts more break points. But in tiebreakers, Federer had 11 unforced errors and Djokovic had zero. Djokovic saved those two championship points. He saved a set point earlier in the match in a different set. Guess what? He's maybe the most clutch player there is. He is a few years younger than Federer. He is 32 and Federer turns 38 in a couple months. Actually, next month. But the question we have to start asking ourselves is, are we going to be able to bring ourselves to say Novak Djokovic is the greatest player of all time? When all is said and done, He's four behind Roger for the all-time record. He has 16, Federer has 20, Nadal has 18. Djokovic has a winning record against Nadal, 20 to 8 and 26. He has a winning record against Federer, 26 and 22. He's owned Andy Murray, who is, I guess, part of the big four, if you want to call it that. And the last five or six years, he's been by far, bar none, the best player in tennis. He was 6-7 in Grand Slam Finals after losing the 2014 French Open Final to Nadal. He has won 10 of his 12 finals at Grand Slam since. You could argue that's when Federer and Nadal weren't as good as they were in, say, 2008 to 2011 or 12. But guess what? It's 2019, and they're all still at the top. He's still winning titles when those players are there, too. He's beating them. And I know that he's going to last longer than Nadal for sure. He's a year younger than Nadal. Federer is very durable. And maybe it's because Federer does it gracefully and his sportsmanship is unfallible, infallible, I should say. And then you look at Djokovic. He's a little bit bristly on the court. He's demonstrative towards the crowd. And the best part maybe yesterday is when he wins, he knows every person except maybe his parents we're cheering for Roger Federer in that crowd. And he wins, and he kind of just looks around, soaks it all in, looking at everybody and saying, yeah, you didn't want this. I'm sorry to spoil your party, sarcastically. And then he always eats a blade of grass when he wins Wimbledon, which is weird, but that's his thing. People don't like him as much as Federer because the Federer and Nadal thing happened first, and Djokovic comes knocking on the door a couple years later. But I think you got to let him in, folks, because when all is said and done, he's got the body. He's got the pliability. I think he's going to last a long time. He is a robot. And I think when we're all said and done, he's going to be the best player. If you, of course, consider major titles the measuring stick. A lot of people do it based on feeling. My feeling yesterday was that Djokovic was not going to lose. I never believed he was going to lose until it was 8-7-40-15. I thought, oh, my God, Federer's going to do this. And then he didn't. Because that's what Djokovic does. He just takes it away. Makes you think, oh, what could have been? But that's what it is. And Djokovic is what happened. So we will see at the U.S. Open. He will be the favorite 
I, as long as he's at a tournament, he'll be the favorite. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I dig you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?